Well, good morning, church. It is good to be with you all this morning. I wanted to share with you what I did last week, how I was blessed and how it relates not to just our church, but also to our passage this morning. So last Sunday after a service, I was invited to join a group of brothers that I've been working with for some time now who desire for more churches to be planted here in New England, especially in small towns like where we live. The group's called the Village Green Collective. And our slogan is small town New England churches splanting small town New England churches together. It's simple, but it's also very profound. And, and often in pastoral circles, you hear of plants happening in large cities where culture is made, like Boston or New York or Burlington or Montpelier, not like Royalton. There are more people in those big places, so that makes sense. But there are also people in small places, like where we live, who need Jesus too. In the Village Green Collective churches, they don't have a ton of extra money. I think more than half of them have bivocational pastors, and it would be difficult for many of these churches to fund a church plant on their own. But together, we can contribute. We can be faithful. Together, we can help each other to be faithful. Together, not just as pastors, but also as churches, we can be faithful to plant more churches. Together, we can go to the towns where there is no church proclaiming the gospel and sustainably start new churches. It's unfortunate, but typically more people come to know Jesus through new churches as opposed to existing churches. And so new churches, they're important. So how does this affect us as a church? Well, as a newer church, your elders want church planting to be part of our DNA. And we have guys like Eric at, here at Cornerstone or Femi at East Randolph who want to be trained up. And we would love to support our guys, but we also may send some money towards Elliot DeLorme. In planting in Henniker, New Hampshire, or Jeff Willett, who's planting in Townsend, Massachusetts. And while we focus here at home, we also want to be a part of what God's doing in other small places like our home. And as this connects to our passage this morning, imagine if we said, well, I don't want other churches to be successful, especially at our expense. Or what if that church baptizes more folks than we do? Or what if we even asked some of you to go to Massachusetts or New Hampshire or Lord willing, Barrie, and we just responded with, yeah, but I'm, I'm about only this place. Friends, building our kingdom could lead to God tearing it down. Johns Piper says in his book, Let the Nations Be Clad, he says, missions exist because worship doesn't. Because people don't worship God, we will continue to go to them and proclaim the gospel. It's all about Jesus, so we share about Jesus. So let's jump into our passage and connect these dots, but let's pray first. And so God, we thank you that we can partner, that we can gather, that we can be used by you for your kingdom, for your glory. God, we ask that you would use us, help this passage to speak to our hearts. Would you speak through my mouth to us this morning for your glory and for our joy? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's look at verse 22 again. After this, the, after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anian near Salim, because water was plentiful there, and the people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. 
And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing all, and all are going to him. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom. The one who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. So after the events of Nicodemus, Jesus, he leaves the big city and goes into the countryside, the rural places of Israel. And while Jesus was in the rural places... He was baptizing folks. And this ritual was an outward sign of this inward transformation, this similar to our celebration of baptism today. But alongside the river, on the other side of the river, there was some competition. John the baptizer. He was baptizing too. So imagine this. In our town of Royalton, we're friends with the Red Door Church. Some of you have friends and family over there. And Red Door is, they do a great Christmas pageant. And what if we decided we should just do it better? Can you believe the nerve of those people? Can you believe that we've been doing this, they've been doing this Christmas pageant for almost 50 years now? We need to help our town to do it better. Friends, Red Door isn't a competitor. Red Door's our friend. May we do things different. We may do things differently, but and, and we do, but we are not competitors. The same thing can be said of East Randolph, and we fight for our Wednesday night gatherings so that we can continue to partner together. We want to be about God growing each of our churches individually, but we get to do this together. The Village Green Collective isn't a competitor, and all these churches are partners in the gospel for the sake of God growing his kingdom, not our kingdom. So despite this increasing, quote, competition from Jesus, John the Baptist's appeal doesn't show any signs of subsiding. People keep coming to John to be baptized, and despite what we do well, people will be drawn to teaching and the proclamation of the gospel, and so long as it's happening, friends, we should rejoice. Verse 25 says, a discussion arose. I think this is more like a discussion we see on Facebook these days. It was, it was a debate. They begin to compare. They begin to promote their kingdom. They begin to argue over important things, Jewish purification. And it's like us arguing over good things, our freedoms or our children's rights or the efficacy of vaccines or the importance of masks, whatever it is. We don't say we can agree to disagree, right? It's you're wrong. We talk about purification, and it's important here, but like freedoms or masking or whatever today, let's be honest, we frequently debate because we want to build our kingdom. And in the grand scheme of things, none of that is important. They debate whose baptism is better, which pastor has better preaching, which music team is more talented, and our debates don't tend to focus on the merits of the words preached or the songs sung or the truth they proclaim. Rather, it's personal preference. Look at verse 26. The people are going to Jesus. We don't like that. John, we're the baptizers. Remember, it's in your name. You're John the Baptist. Why doesn't it bother you when they should be coming to us? We can be honest. We would love for this building to be packed out, where we can do baptisms like we did a few months back, every week where we run out of seats. That, and that may happen. But would you be as excited if that happened at one of our local churches? Would that lead you to rejoicing? In Mark, we see a parallel passage. It says that when John the Baptist, he came, this is what he came to do. Mark chapter 1, verse 4. It says, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness. 
and proclaiming the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And Mark continues to say that what Jesus came to do a few verses later in verse 14 and 15. He says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Friends, we are on the repent and believe team. John the Baptist and Jesus, they're on the same team. The disciples, they didn't get it though. And John's baptism was a symbol of forgiveness of sins that comes through the Messiah. And Jesus' baptism was that outward affirmation of the belief in that Messiah. John uses this, friends, to teach his disciples similar things that Jesus taught Nicodemus last week. John says one cannot receive one thing unless it's been given from heaven, like being born again. Do you see how this gospel account is making a point? It's all about Jesus. So we share about Jesus. Everything else is unimportant. John says this, John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that they may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Friends, when people receive life, we rejoice and exalt God. We worship when others start to worship for the first time. Like John in verse 28, our role is to point people to Jesus in any way we can because we are not the Christ. He is. It's all about Jesus, so we share about Jesus. And John uses this idea of a wedding. The Apostle Paul reminds us that every wedding points to Christ in his church. Christ lays down his life as the bridegroom for his bride, and the bride and the church comes alongside Jesus, submitting to him. John is the friend of the bridegroom. John is like the best man. And imagine being at your wedding if the best man made the wedding about him. Some of you may have had that awkward wedding and are still mad at that best man. But that's not what it's supposed to be. When we're considering coming to Vermont, a pastor friend of mine wanted us to come to his area of Vermont. He wanted me to take a position close to his house, his church, and his area up north. And there's nothing wrong with that. But he knew it wasn't best for us. He's the first person to introduce me to Marty, to the elders here, to the elders of East Randolph. And he knew Cornerstone was a better fit for me, especially we all know this was better. Or eventually, we all knew this was better because it's all about Jesus. So we share about Jesus. When John the Baptist shares the gospel, it's easy for him. It's like a wedding. It's like, if you're like anything like me, though, it's not that easy. I thought of some ways we could share the gospel, the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection, so we don't leave those conversations like, ah, I missed it. I wish I would have shared because it's all about Jesus, so we share about Jesus. One way to approach this thinking is thinking about our study in Genesis last year. There was a creation, there's a fall, there's a redemption, and all of this points to the gospel. When we see creation is distorted, we point to restoration that comes from Jesus. When spring comes, I hope soon because my back hurts from all the shoveling of snow, we can point to the new life that comes with colors of green, new animals being born, the sun that shines a little bit longer in the day. Or next fall, as winter approaches, you can share about how death will come, but life will renew itself in the spring, like the gospel does to our dead hearts. It's creation. The fall. God saves sinners, right? Death and disease, pandemics, pain, suffering, all show our world is broken. I got a text today from a friend in northern Vermont. His secretary was killed in a car accident last night. This world is hard. Remind people that God is life. 
Remind people he heals disease. Remind people there is no pain and suffering with eternal life in Christ. Or pray for the person in pain and share with them as you pray to God. God can heal. He gives freedom from suffering and ultimately there is eternal life in Jesus through the gospel. John uses a wedding to point to the gospel. It's like the gospel, the disciples, they just teed it up for him to proclaim the gospel. Where God is covenanted with his people and we are covenanted with him. And when you talk about marriage, you can proclaim the gospel. Since all marriages point to the gospel. Husbands, love your wives. Christ loved the church. Laid his down for his wife. We husbands, we will fail. But Jesus won't. Remind your spouse that. Remind others of that. Every time you talk about marriage. We can talk about family, and we, that points us to the gospel. We, can, we are part of God's family, and we were created to live in community. We've probably had family members wander off, hurt us, not love us. But when a sinner repents, and we are reconciled, is it not pure joy? Or as Jesus says in John chapter 13, 35, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Why do we love each other so well as a church? Well, friend, to show you that we're disciples of Christ. And you can get in on it too by believing the gospel. But also think if we don't love each other well, what that communicates to the world around us. Or another example, the birth of a baby is like new life in Christ being born again. Or the growing of a child as we grow in Christ. Or as a father falters and stumbles. Or a child falters and stumbles. And mom or dad picks them up. God does the same thing with us. Or parents, we don't punish our children. We discipline them. God punished Jesus, so we only needed to discipline us. And you can tell your kids about that when you discipline them and make a point to share the gospel. My kids love it when I remind them that this is discipline, this is love. Don't look at them, they're in the front row. They cannot defend themselves or see you guys looking at them right now. As you read your Bible, think about how the normal everyday things in your life connect to the passage you're reading. Take note of it. It's not cheesy, it's true, so proclaim the gospel. It's kind of easy, but it's also really sobering to share the gospel with others. May God give us the desire and unction to do it. In verse 30, John says, He must increase, I must decrease. John the Baptist, he's already humble. We saw that in chapter 1. Jesus is already known as the Christ. Still, John needs more humility. But Jesus needs more glory. Friends, the purpose of John's ministry is to elevate Jesus. The purpose of my life is to elevate Jesus. The purpose of my family is to elevate Jesus. The purpose of this church is to elevate Jesus. The purpose of your life is to elevate Jesus. The purpose of East Randolph or Red Door is to elevate Jesus. There is a world outside that doesn't elevate. So it's all about Jesus, so we share about Jesus. Friends, there is no rival in this world to Jesus. He's alone. He must increase. We must decrease. There are better preachers, there's better music, there's better Christmas pageants. But what matters most, Christ is proclaimed and he is exalted. Jesus must increase by whatever means necessary. It's all about Jesus, so we share about Jesus. John the Baptist, he explains why Jesus must be lifted up even higher. We'll pick it back up in verse 31. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal that this, that God is true. 
For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. In verse 31, we see Christ, he had a heavenly origin. He is above all. He's already exalted. And we must, he must increase. We must decrease. Jesus is from heaven, so he has authority. And he is from heaven, so he can speak of heavenly things. It's all about Jesus. So we share about Jesus. Verse 32 shows us Christ knew what was true by firsthand experience. He must increase. We must decrease. Jesus bears witness of himself for people to see, hear, and receive his testimony. We've seen Jesus fulfill the Old Testament sacrificial system. And remember, the law came from Moses, but grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. No one can see God unless God penetrates our hearts and minds to break down the barrier of sin, to perceive and then receive the grace that only comes from Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So we share about Jesus. Jesus had a heavenly origin. He had firsthand experience and reveals God to us, and his testimony has always agreed with God, we see in verse 33. He must increase. We must decrease. Those who receive Jesus, they set their seal, John says, that God is true. Even in the midst of confusion, doubt, or uncertainty, God is true. Jesus has always agreed with God, and what Jesus says are the words of God. And in Ephesians 1, it says that Paul says that the Holy Spirit is the guarantee. It's the down payment or the seal. He is the seal of our salvation. God's seal and our seal, they work together. And we believe and God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises because his character guarantees we make it to the end. It's all about Jesus, so we share about Jesus. Christ is exalted because he's from heaven. He reveals God to us. His testimony agrees with God, and as verse 34 says, he gives the Holy Spirit without measure. You catching on? Another reason he must increase, we must decrease. And finally, Jesus is exalted because he is exalted by the Father. As we see in verse 35, he must increase, we must decrease. This is perfect, eternal love. And with the same love God so loved the world with, He gave his only son that whoever should believe in him will have eternal life. And for those who believe, God has the same love for us. In Matthew, when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, this took place. So Jesus goes into the water, the spirit descends on him like a dove. And in Matthew 3, verse 17, and behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Can you see the connections to our passage? We don't see Jesus' baptism here in the Gospel of John, but Jesus agrees and connects his ministry to John's. The Father has granted to the Son the authority to give life. And when life is received through belief in his Son, God looks upon us with the same love he has for the Son. If you believe you are his beloved son, or you are his beloved daughter, in whom he is well pleased. It's all about Jesus, so we share about Jesus. But the exaltation of Jesus, it doesn't end there. The Father has granted to the Son another means of exaltation. The other path is eternal judgment. 
as we see in verse 36. He must increase. We must decrease. It's clear the wrath of God remains on those who do not obey or believe or see or receive the Son. You may think it's just mean and how can that be exaltation? We saw last week that unbelievers are already condemned and God so loved the world that whoever believes in the Son receives the gift of eternal life. We are snatched up from the road we are on and transferred to the kingdom of God's beloved Son. This is eternal life. It's realized right now. And John the Baptist, he says that the one who believes has eternal life which are the same words of Jesus for last week. John doesn't say that we will have eternal life. We have it. It's not a merely a future expectation. It's a present reality to know and have eternal life. Jesus says this in John 17, 3. He says, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Friends, other religions have no certainty for salvation. Other religions, they require work. And what can I do to make God love me? And there's no certainty there will ever be enough. Friends, you can't go to church enough for God to love you more. You can't read your Bible enough for God to love you more. You can't serve more, give more, evangelize more for God to love you more. God loves you because he loves you. And that's our hope. And that's why it's all about Jesus So we share about Jesus. And for those who believe, there's eternal life. Because God loves. God never goes back on his promises. He says what he means and he means what he says. And when he says he will save us from our sins by believing in his son, he will. And we can rest in that. But the final verse of the chapter clearly shows us and attests to the fact the wrath of God rests on unbelievers, which makes believing in the Son not an option, but essential. This is a promise, but it's also a warning. And John says our obedience is tied to our belief, but as a result of our belief. Obedience is not a means for salvation, but disobedience, as the author of Hebrews says, is a lack of faith. And trusting Jesus should lead to obedience to Christ's words. And these truths should lead us to mission. There's a lost and dying world around us on their way to hell, and they need the gospel. We get to do this as we work together with our brothers and sisters at East Randolph, at Red Door, with the churches and the Village Green Collective. And as a friend of mine reminds me, we can celebrate and let's celebrate the fruit on other churches' trees. Friends, God calls us to faithfulness. He is the one who produces fruit. God has called us to bear witness to who he is and what he has done so many can come to believe, many can come to follow, many can come to love and Jesus themselves. We will not ignore what's going on here in our town. If you have ways that you think we could love our towns better, please share them. I've been talking to a couple of you in the church and I would love to do more here locally. But if our bank account decreases because we gave money away so Jesus may increase, it's worth it. If our attendance decreases a bit because we send folks to another town to start a new church so Jesus may increase, it's worth it. God has called us in this life to this work, like John the Baptist, directing people to Jesus and exalting in him. We are called to be faithful to God's call. That's it. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 
Verse 24, it says this, Paul says this, He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. He doesn't say he will produce fruit. He is faithful and he will do it. As we are faithful to God, God is faithful to himself. He doesn't guarantee fruit from us, but what he does guarantee is eternal life for those who believe, which is great fruit. He calls us and he's faithful. That's fruit. That's it. God is in the fruit of, or sorry, fruit is God's business because he must increase and we must decrease. It's all about Jesus, so we share about Jesus. Missions exist because worship doesn't. John Piper continues, Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It's a temporary necessity. Friends, but worship abides forever. So let's be about God's exaltation through the proclamation of the gospel and expect God to save sinners. Are you willing to be about that? Let's pray and let's worship because God deserves our exaltation because it's all about Jesus. Father, thank you for helping us to see this, helping us to worship God with the meditations of our minds, the words of our mouth be pleasing in your sight as we worship you right now. Be glorified in the rest of our time as we submit ourselves and proclaim the gospel and worship you, for you are a great and mighty and loving God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.